Hebrews 11, 8 through 11, or through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, Father, again, week in and week out as we come to your word, Father, may we come with humble, teachable, discerning, submissive hearts. Father, minds that are anxious, excited, anticipating your kind revelation to us. Father, may my words be clear. And Father, may our hands go and walk in faithfulness as we depart from this place in just a few minutes, Father. Ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So here as we continue through the book of Hebrews, we come to now uh, the story of Abraham. That by faith, Abraham obeyed. Let me recount for you just a few things concerning Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was a pagan patriarch whom God sovereignly decides to rescue and make into one of the greatest godly patriarchs of all time. This patriarch is given the covenant of grace by which we are saved. Many believe that God's covenant of grace doesn't begin until the New Testament, but it is clearly instituted here with Abraham. I hope you'll see some of that picture today. Romans 4.11 says this, He, speaking of Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Romans 4:11. Thus we are saved as the spiritual offspring of Abraham through God's promise made to Abraham. So you see this picture of God's salvation by grace through faith in the Old Testament via the story of Abraham. And that's why the author of Hebrews is picking back up here on Abraham. Back to Genesis verse, chapter 15, verse 6. Speaking of Abraham, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to Abraham as righteousness. He exercised 
faith. That's what's being said in Genesis 15, verse 6. By faith, Abraham was saved, or righteousness was counted to him. And then in Hebrews, we pick back up on the same thing. By faith, Abraham proceeds. Abraham is redeemed, and so on. So the first thing, the first main thing I want you to see this morning is that faith is always in response to God's initiating call. Faith is always in response to God's initiating call. It's always in response to God's words, God's doings. God is the one who initiates it, always. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called. It goes on, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So to work through that first part of verse 8, in the story of Abraham, we see the Lord doing a marvelous act, kind of twofold. We see him doing the beginning of Abraham's salvation. That's what you see in that uh, Genesis 12. But you also see the beginning of God's redemptive work overall. Not the very beginning, certainly we see that in the garden, but you see it uh, unfolded or revealed in, in more clear terms here. Now, one, I think one of the misconceptions, so as we've, we're working through chapter 11, which is dealing largely with the idea of faith, we want to address misconceptions or things that we would deny as well, not just the things that are clear that we want to affirm, as, but one of the misconceptions of faith, I believe, is that we can simply muster it, on, muster it up or muster it out on our own or out of the air, that we can just do that at the snap of a fingers. How many times have you heard someone say, well, just keep the faith? Well, just keep the faith. Or, well, you just got to have faith. You know, when I, when I hear those, and, and I'm, I'm being genuine, not just trying to be snarky here, but I, I, I'm like, well, what in the world are you talking about? Like, faith in what? And, and how are you going to get that faith? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just stupid. Like, what, what do you mean? You're just, just going to get more faith. You're just going to muster up more faith. You're just going to keep the faith. As Christians, your next question should always be, when the idea of faith comes up, should be in response to what? Faith in what? Faith in who? Not just faith. Faith has become like a, faith is just something I got to have to get by. It's just a a sense of being okay with life so that we can move on. I'm just going to keep the faith. I'm just going to walk in faith. I'm just going to stay strong almost through whatever adverse situations or circumstances I'm in. But faith is is not that. It's like faith that has been pulled out of a hat or it's just something that's hanging in the air. But faith is always in response to God's initiation It's always in the response to what God has said and what God has done. That's both in the sense of initial salvation that we see in Genesis 12 with Abraham, but also in working out that faith. So there's like two streams going on in my head right now. That's the where Abraham is initially called and initially saved. His salvation begins 
But if faith is also working out that salvation, it's moving forward, then, then that faith too is always in response to what God has said. It's always in response to God's initiating call. So again, back here, back in this verse, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when God called him. God called Abraham. God initiated with Abraham. Abraham's faith was in God's words. God comes to him and says, go do this. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you so and so forth and so forth. He goes on. Noah's, or I'm sorry, Noah, that was last week. Abraham's faith was in what God said. It wasn't just faith to do the next, like, to have a good thought about the next moment. It wasn't his happy thoughts that he could fly like Peter Pan. It was faith in what God had said. Now let me remind you that this is not because Abraham was something special. Again, that's why I phrased it the way I did. He was a pagan patriarch. It wasn't because Abraham was special, but because of God's saving call. Joshua 24, you can go read verses 2 and 3, talks about how God took Abraham, the pagan idol worshiper. He did not deserve to be called, quite the contrary. But Abraham was saved because God sought him, because God called him, though he did not deserve it. Again, don't miss this picture. Abraham, an idol-worshiping heathen, headed for eternal destruction, was chosen by God, called out by God, to be the patriarch through whom God would bless many with salvation. That's the picture here in Hebrews. God's sovereign election is on display in the picture of Abraham, out of all the people that God could have chosen, he chooses Abraham. When anyone indeed is saved by faith, they are saved by faith because God first calls them. If you want a New Testament passage for that, John six forty four: no one can come to me, this is Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's what's happening with Abraham. Abraham didn't deserve it. He wasn't a stellar guy. He wasn't just a morally cool, good, acceptable, modern, Western Christian, as if that's anything good anymore. But he draws him. He calls him. You know, some will see this as God being some big meanie. Their problem is pride, because to some measure, they think man deserves God's mercy. But Abraham did not deserve God's mercy. There is nothing in the text to indicate such a conclusion. If anything, the evidence in the text clearly suggests otherwise. Again, he was an idol-worshiping pagan. God saves. 
But some will see it as God's incredible mercy, that God would rescue someone out of that pit and headed towards hell. The next thing, though, I want you to see, you have by faith Abraham obeyed when God called. The next thing, though, I want you to see is that it's, it's not faith placed in a feeling or in a subjective discernment. But instead, it's faith in what God said. That's a big theme here in Hebrews, since the beginning of Hebrews. But certainly, as we work through chapter 11, that's why we're back at the beginning where I'm saying, well, faith in what? Faith in who? Faith is not just a feeling. Faith is not just a sense of, of existing. It's not, it's not, it, is, it is a belief in something said, something concrete, something that God has said. But for many of us, oftentimes, we feel like operating on faith when we're doing something subjective, thinking that God wants us to do that. So what I mean by that is like, I only feel like I'm operating on faith when it's like something kind of crazy or uncertain, something hard, a challenging situation. Well, I'm just, oh, now I'm just, now I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to go buy this new car on faith, or I'm going to marry this person on faith, or I'm going to go to this church on faith. I'm going to make this step of faith. But again, faith in what? Faith in a whim? Faith in a gut feeling? Listen, Abraham did not uproot his entire family and move to a pagan land by faith in a gut feeling. He upended all that he knew. Go back to Genesis. Right? He left, or back to Hebrews. He left all of it. He left his family. Why? Because God clearly and explicitly spoke to him. I would remind you that, that God in this day speaks to us through his word. Anything outside of that is speculation. Meaning it could be right. It may not be right. It could be just the Taco Bell you had the night before. So you feel like God's telling you no. Right? I mean, well, maybe God's telling you yes, uh, depending on how Taco Bell sets in your gut. Come on. Jeez. <laughs> Faith is, we've talked about this already, so I'm not going to rehash all this. Faith is what? It's, it's grasping God's word. It's standing upon God's word. It's uh, firm foundation is God's words. That's what Noah, or Noah, again, that's last week. That's what Abraham, if I call him Abe too, uh, Abe might perk his head up, but I have Abe written all over my notes. So if I say Abe, I mean Abraham, uh, not the one sitting in the second pew. Well, I mean him too, if 
if he would trust in Jesus Christ and, and follow him, he too can be of Abraham's line. Anyways, back to the notes. God actually spoke to Abraham. And that, again, that doesn't mean that God doesn't direct us through his spirit, doesn't direct us through counsel of other people and, and from his word in more subjective or in decisions that God's word does not clearly speak to. Certainly God can do that. But at its best, it's still subjective. At its best, it's still a measure of uncertainty. But faith... The faith that Abraham is exercising is not faith on a feeling or a, a gut feeling, a whim, or some subjective discernment. It is faith in what God has said. God told him, go. And so Abraham goes. Faith is always in response to God's initiating call, in response to his clear words. Next, faith requires obedience. Faith requires obedience. I know this might sound a bit like a broken record, um, but I think, it, I think faith requiring obedience only sounds like a broken record because Christians today have broken the record of not talking about how faith requires obedience. Meaning, we've detached these two things from each other. And so it seems uh, uh, kind of jarring at times. But the scriptures do not think about faith and obedience as, as two completely separate things, as though one could be picked up and the other one left on the ground. The scriptures see faith and obedience always as something that comes as a package deal. Just watch the Old Testament. Again, Abraham here is a great example. But back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And then it goes on. It says, he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So God here called him to go. It wasn't just a call to believe something, but it was a call to go that would require belief. Again, notice this in the past couple weeks, particularly here in Hebrews. God's calling to faith involves a calling to go. It was the same thing with Noah last week. It wasn't, hey, Noah, I just have some cool thoughts that I want you to assent to. Hey, can you check the box and say you believe I'm going to flood the earth? I, I, by the way, you can just sit there and, you know, it, it'll be fine for you. Faith, I'm going to flood, I'm going to judge all mankind, but I'm going to save you and your family if you have faith. Faith in what? Faith that God's means of salvation would save him. So it wasn't just faith in an idea, but it was faith in God's means of redemption. And what was his means of redemption? Hammer strike after hammer strike, wood chopping after wood chopping, building the ark, his family's redeemed. It wasn't the building the ark that saved Noah per se, but it was his faith then God's means of redemption that saves Noah. 
But faith requires obedience. Again, God didn't just call Abraham to believe, but called him to show his belief. Again, these are a package deal. And then, these, these examples we see in Hebrews, their actions that's coming from faith put God's glory on display. We talked about this last week with, if, um, uh, with Noah. But when Noah, by faith, believes God's words, which entails building an ark, it puts God's words on display. It puts God's character and his words, his plan, on display for the world to see. The same thing happening with Abraham. This isn't some, you know, one dude with a donkey that's traveling across the country to a foreign land. His tribe goes, and all of his animals go. Like, man, where'd Abraham go? Cool, we got another field we can put our animals on now. Like, it's a big deal. Abraham moves. It was a living example of God's words. Their faith works displayed a garden worthy of the glory of God. But God called him to go. The call to faith is always followed by the life of faith. Always. Where faith is not working itself out, there is no faith. Again, you're going to hear this over and over again, in part because the stream is against us on this, and in part because it's a needed, needed corrective even for ourselves. They're a package deal. It says that he went out, not knowing where he was going, just knowing where God had told him to go. He didn't know the ins and outs of it. He didn't know the details of it, but he knew that God had told him to go to this land. So the point is not, hear me, you got to be careful here. The point is not, real faith looks like going to an unknown place, or real faith looks like doing something crazy or stupid. It's just crazy or stupid, okay? That's not the picture of faith that's being painted for us here, but that is a very popular picture of faith today. That we only do something by faith when it looks insane. But we talked about this a few weeks ago. That parenting your child, believing what God has said concerning parenting and your child, is you living by faith. You having a confrontational conversation with your spouse that's going to hurt and it's going to be painful. But believing... What God has said concerning righteousness, concerning what's good for your spouse, that is you living by faith. Faith is not, that's not the picture being painted. When he says he went out not knowing where he was going, that is not an indicator for us that faith is when we're doing something crazy or stupid. The point is this. Faith is trusting God even, or let me back up. Faith is trusting God with the unseen. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting God with the unseen here. Again, this, we're back to the Noah thing last week. 
Has he ever seen rain? Has he ever seen a boat that big? But he believed God would save him through that unseen thing. Here's the challenge. We're often faced with a decision. Do we do what God has said or not? Do we go build the ark or not? Do we go to the land or not? Do we have the conversation or not? Do we parent or not? And then what we want is for something to convince us to go do what God told us. So we look for a gut feeling or some sort of spiritual sign or a leaf to fall in just the right way. But here's my question then. At that point, what are you actually trusting in? Looking for that spiritual sign or that gut feeling, what are you actually trusting in in that moment? God's words or the spiritual sign? I mean, it might be a little bit of both, but, but then what you're saying with your actions is that God's words are not enough. I have to have evidence A, exhibit B. Did Noah have that? Did Abraham have that? God said it. They did it. It was that simple. Instead, what's happening is we're trusting in our gut feeling or, or that really cool sign. But that isn't Christian faith. God said, go. Abraham said, all right. Did, did Abraham say, God, you know, could you show me exactly what's in that land? Could you, like, give me a play-by-play? Or could you tell me just what's, what it's going to cost me, God? Could you show me just what the, the bill's going to be at the end of the day? God said, go. Abraham said, all right. I mean, clearly Abraham had to trust that God was going to provide all that he needed, that, that this was the, lay, the way unto salvation. I mean, clearly Abraham was by faith trusting in God's provision. The reality is, right, it's difficult for us to obey God's call especially harder over a period of many, many years. But why is it difficult to obey God's call? Let's not overcomplicate this. Why is it difficult to, to obey God's call? At the root, it's a matter of faith. That's why. Don't overcomplicate it. Obedience to God's word is a matter of faith. Disobedience is a matter of faith. Now, maybe figuring out what you're not exercising faith in, that might be a little challenging. Like, what is it exactly that I'm saying God is a liar about? What is it that I'm having a struggle to, to believe him, to stake my life upon? Maybe you don't believe his way is best. Or maybe you don't believe his way is paid for. Or maybe you don't believe his way is already secured or that his way is most loving and good. Our world is certainly confused about these kinds of things. Why? That was at the root. That was Adam and Eve's problem. We don't believe God's way is most good and right and just and loving. We will make our own way. I mean, you hear this all over the gender conversation. 
All the confusion there, because clearly, uh, as their actions and words show, God's way is not most loving and good. It's difficult to obey God's call, but let's not overcomplicate it. It's a matter of faith. Do you believe or do you not? And what is it that you don't believe? I mean, this is what we learn in our one-on-two discipleship groups in the first year, is to understand that all of obedience and disobedience is a matter of faith. Again, the challenge is figuring out what is it that I'm not believing? What is it that God has said that I am saying is not true? Next, I want to remind you, Spurgeon kind of hit on this, Charles Spurgeon hit on this reminder that delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Spurgeon says this, there is no hint of hesitation, parlaying, or delay. When Abraham was called to go out, he went out. You know, Noah, it's probably a good thing Noah, uh, it doesn't seem like he delayed either. Um, it had been really terrible to spend 115 years building the ark and to be five years late on getting it ready in time, if you know what I'm saying. A good parent, right, expects their child to obey right away, not when they get to number two or they get to number three. Think about it this way. Any moment of debate is a moment of wrong belief. Does that make sense? In any moment of debate is a moment of unbelief. So I'm hesitating. Why? Because my faith is not strong in what God has said. It's wavering. Well, what is it wavering for? Because it's in that moment weighing the two options, God's way or my way. Well, what is that saying when you waver in that moment? Is it going to be God's way or my way? You're saying somehow my faith and my way, the, my, the faith in my way, what I believe is somehow on par or equivalent to or just as good or maybe even better than God's way. That's your moment of wavering. That's what it's saying. It's, it's blasphemous. I mean, we all struggle with this multiple times every single day, but it's sin. It's in that, do do I trust God or do I not? I should never get to, or do I not? He said, go, and I go. So a a, a side note here on, on, on this would be, if that's sin, then you should repent. It's not something you just move on from. Don't just move on from that wavering moment. Say, God, I'm sorry that I wavered in trusting what you said. Please forgive me. It's that simple. You don't go have to go sit up an appointment with your priest. Knock on his door and talk through the screen. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Give me the faith to not waver the next time. Help me see that your word is infinitely more sure than my word. So delayed obedience is still disobedience. Next, faith is not just believing some abstract facts, but to obey his call and follow him. I've already alluded to this 
to some measure, but I want to expound upon it a little bit more here. Abraham didn't, again, didn't even know where they were going. But faith, again, is more than just believing or assenting to some abstract facts. For some Christians, faith is nothing more than a mental assent. Yes, I believe Jesus. Yes, I believe the Bible. But that's it. Maybe they have some things that look like Christian works. I think we, we sit in the midst, uh, if, if, in my efforts to not be tone deaf to our current situation, I think that a new group is more of a supposed Christians who it's nothing more than a mental ascent and some sort of emotional roller coaster with the idea. Yes, I believe Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. But again, that's it. But the Bible's test for true redemption is not simply what do you say you believe and not simply what do your emotions emote. Let me give you a couple examples, a couple of scriptures here. What do you, what, it, it's not just what do you say you believe, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So here is a group of people who are going to get to Jesus and going to say, but I believed. And Jesus is going to say, well, you depart from me. You didn't actually do the will of my Father. You didn't actually build the ark. You didn't actually go to the land. You just said you believed. But, But Lord, Lord, I believe you. I believe you. The second group, what do your emotions emote? John 14, 15, Jesus saying, if you love me, you'll feel really good about me, right? Is that what he says? You will keep my commandments. So both of these, if you love me, you'll do. In the previous passage, if you say you believe me, you'll go do. The Bible's test for true redemption is faith-fueled obedience, That's the test. Next, certainly with Abraham, just as it was with Noah, this faith-fueled obedience comes at a great cost. Again, let's put this in perspective. Abraham has to pack up not even just a house, as toilsome as that is. Some of you can relate in recent years to packing up a house and moving. I, you know, recently moving, I thought I had a lot of stuff moving. I do have a lot of stuff moving. Now if I can env- envision moving all of my stuff, six kids, eight cows, you know, I don't know, 100 chickens now, I've lost count, literally, ducks and turkeys, that would be a move. And Abraham probably had way, 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 way more. Not probably, he did. That would be insane. Anybody see the, the story of uh, cows loose in Springboro? Uh, I, I, I almost had a heart attack when I first saw that. I, I literally, for about three seconds, I went, oh no. And then I realized it was not my cows. So 
Thank God. I've had nightmares about such things. <laughs> Namely, because how do you just how do you get a 1,400-pound cow to, to go the direction you want them to go? It's hard. You can do it. It's just hard. It came at great cost to him. For Abraham, next, next thought here, Abraham, it was not his going and obeying that saved him, but his faith. God's the conduit of faith. His going and obeying was evidence of his faith. I want to point out a connection for you here. Go read Jesus on the rich young ruler. I think this is a great example of faith and works and redemption and how those pieces fit together. The, the, when, Jesus, when the rich young ruler comes and says, Jesus, how we, I, I want to be saved. What must I do? And Jesus says, go and sell all of your stuff and give it to the poor. Jesus is not telling the rich young ruler that if you sell all of your stuff and give it to the poor, that that act will save you. He's telling him that evidence of true faith for you, rich young ruler, will be repenting of your faith in your money, getting rid of it all, and putting your faith in me. Through me alone will you be saved. So just, just as a reminder, these, when, when, when Noah is told to build the ark, when Abraham is told to go, it, it's not the, the going that is the saving. It, it, is, it is God saying, for you, Abraham, your faith in me, for you to walk that out in repentance is going to look like you moving on from this place and going to this place. So I just want to make sure you understand, it's not the... The, the actions are not doing the redeeming. They're the evidence of the true faith in God's redemption that's being pictured and being worked out. I remember, back to Noah, like it just shows such a good picture of Noah, where Noah's saying salvation is only going to happen through that boat. God's means through that boat. The rest of the world is saying, no, I can be saved apart from that boat. It's just a picture of the gospel. It's the same thing with Abraham going to not just a land, but the promised land. That's where salvation is. It's in following God and going there. The last thing before I move to my last point here is that I'm sure the world and Abraham's flesh would have been asking something like, where are you going, Abraham? Maybe a series of questions like this. Why are you giving up on the pleasures of sin, Abraham? Or why are you throwing your life away to serve where God calls you, Abraham? Or Abraham, why are you obeying the Bible instead of doing what is common or popular or with the stream? Maybe for us, why are you not doing all of those sports that the world wants you to do? Why are you not staying late at work every single day and neglecting your family? Why are you not proceeding? 
and all Abe, Abraham, there you go, needs to say is I'm going where God has called. I'm doing what God has said. Now, why would Abraham do such a thing? Why would he do such a thing? Which leads me to my last point. Because faith can see beyond. Because faith can see beyond. Which is the title of my sermon today. Faith can see beyond. Such a beautiful picture here in Hebrews 11. Verse 10. For Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Wow. Now, let's put this, in, let's put this into its context here. What was Abraham in once he got to the, what was Abraham sleeping in once he got to the promised land? Tents. What did the pagans have? Buildings. This is very real for Abraham, very practical. Like, yes, there's, there's this picture coming of this revelation city that Abraham is alluding to, but the Spirit's alluding to through Abraham here. But this is very visceral for Abraham. This is very real. Like, I've lived in a tent my whole life, and I'm looking around, and all the pagans have buildings. They all have this nice stuff, and I'm in a tent. But he's going, but, but here's what's happening. So, so I'm getting ahead of myself. So there's a comparison between the tents with no rooted foundation and the foundations of the city. But Abraham clearly in this moment chooses the eternal. He chooses to trust God's promise. God has promised to establish him in this place, to root him deeply in this place, to build something that will bless the world through Abraham. So when he looks out, he says, here's the picture, when he looks out and, and he's in a tent and all he sees is these pagan buildings, this pagan success, he can see beyond. He sees something better than what the pagans built. He sees something with, with a better design than what the pagans had built. And again, think about the, the marvelous difference between a tent. You ever been in a tent in a storm? Makes you wish you were in a building, right? I remember going camping with dad, and rain would come. And I remember spending many hours in the car. <laughs> Because the rain, you don't want to be in a tent in the rain, at least the tents we had. In that moment, like when he, when, when he looked out, yes, he saw the, the pagan dwellings and the pagan success, but he saw more. He saw further. He saw through it. And he chose to dwell in the land that God had promised, even though the pagans had all the successful things. But my, how easy it is for us to look out and envy a pagan. 
They seem to have all the fun. They seem to have all the freedom. They seem to have all the money, all the friends, all the success, all the power. Or maybe for you, man, they don't have to do all that church stuff, or they don't always have to control their emotions, or they don't have to be mindful of sports or what's on TV or YouTube. They don't have to be mindful of the way their kids dress, especially their daughters. It all just seems like so much better. It seems like so much more fun. It seems so much more freeing. How easy it is to look out on pagans and see what looks like success and feel like we're defeated. The pagans are winning. Their life is easier. They control politics. They control this business and that business or the health care and school systems and so on and so forth. But listen, all that that does in those moments of your struggle, all that that reveals is how poorly trained your eyesight is. How weak our faith is. If it was Abraham today, he would be able to look out at everything I just named and see through it and see a city that God has built that God has designed. Abraham could see with eyes of faith. He could see the land. Right? So this is not a denial of current reality, but a seeing through current reality, seeing through the circumstances. See, Abraham could see the land, but he could see through the lens of what God had promised. He could see the land, but he could see what God was doing. Remember, faith is, is so sure of what God has said as though it's real and in your hands. That was faith. That was Abraham. He could see his faith was so strong as though it was already a reality. You ever spent time with someone who can look at not the greatest of situation and see something that's not actually there. Like they could see beyond the physical reality and they had a faith and a hopefulness that you're like, man, I just don't get it. Here's the way it works. Faith takes in the reality, but then faith stands upon God's words and sees what the naked eye cannot see. It sees the unseen. How? Again, it takes in the reality. It's not a denial of reality. But then it stands upon what God has said and so firmly believes it, it's as if it's already in their hand. Now, I would caution you at this point that the promise that you're standing upon has to be actually a promise. It's so easy for us to make up promises that we believe God has told me I could have. And then when it doesn't happen, we get all shooken up about it. And our, we get into a, a faith crisis or we deconstruct is the popular dumb term today. There's no deconstructing. It was a faith in something stupid to begin with, and you're just now figuring that out. 
But Abraham, listen, faith stands upon the shoulders of God's promises so it can see further than the faithless dead eyes of a pagan. I'll say that again. Faith stands upon the shoulders of God's promises so that it can see further than the faithless dead eyes of a pagan. Abraham was enjoying what God was already giving him as well as that which he had yet to give him. Did you hear that? So, so he's enjoying, I'm in the land, and he's thankful. But he can see beyond it that what God has designed, and God's going to build himself. And he's enjoying both. By faith, he's living both. A popular theological or uh, the theological phrase is the already not yet. There's an already not yet to this picture of Abraham here. He was in the land. God gave it. It was already. He could see what was yet to be given by his faith. Have you ever been in a dark room, like one that you just couldn't see anything? Like dark, 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 right? How do you react? Like how do you, in that moment, how do you, what do you do? You probably freeze. Like, I mean, yeah, stop for a moment. Or maybe you step back. Or if you step forward, you probably do so with hesitancy. And if you're like me, all you want to do is just get out and turn on the lights. But what happens when someone shines a light? Even a dim one, and you can see the next step. You can see what lies before you. You can see what it looks like on the other side of the room. What do you do? You begin to move more quicker, with more confidence, with more expectation, with more joy. You don't have to shrink back. There's no worry about what's the next step. Listen, Abraham could see what was in front of him. Abraham could see where all of this was headed. Abraham could see it. He knew that God had promised him, and his faith was so strong that it was as if it had already happened. He could taste it already. You ever done that? You're headed to one of your favorite restaurants, and it was like the food had already hit your taste buds, right? You could taste it on the way. Am I the only one? Come on. Abraham could taste it already. It was as if he had already eaten it. He could see beyond the tents. He could see beyond the lack of sure foundation. He could see a city with foundations, a permanency. He could see a place that wasn't built by these pagans or even his own hands, but instead a city designed and built by God himself. He could see it peering through the flap on his tent. What's the point? By faith, he could see something eternally better and amazingly more glorious than anything these pagans had built. And we often grow impatient, though, don't we? Anybody here struggle with discontentment? 
Impatience, yeah, me, I've got my hand up, both of them. Wanting more possessions, wanting more security, resentful that we cannot be like the others around us, a weariness with the pilgrimage of faith, as someone said. And so we oftentimes grab for the wrong things. Maybe we put the blinders on. We start aligning our lives to secure those things. And we begin to leave behind the convictions and truth that we once believed by faith. But instead, we must live and feed our faith upon God's words, God's promises, what God has said, what God has done, revealed to us in his word. You see, faith looks forward. It looks forward. It's, it has the ability to see the unseen. And when you look forward, let me ask you that question. Can you see the unseen? When you look forward, can you see the unseen? Remember, I don't mean, can you look forward and simply see something that you really want? What I mean is, can you look forward and see as God has said? Can you look forward and see as God has said? If you can't, then you will envy the pagans and all the shiny things they have. All of it. But let me ask you this last couple questions. What can you see by faith? Can you see a land designed and built by God himself? You see it? Can you see it? Listen, if, if you can't see it, then you're going to live in overwhelming discouragement. Let me put this in practical terms. Can you see your boys growing up to be men who fight dragons? Can you see your daughters growing up to be women who laugh at feminists? Can you see your grandchildren who stand on your shoulders in order to see the next horizon? Can you see a church worth giving your life to? Can you see a world where pagan evil is no more? Can you see a marriage that shows such a clear picture of the gospel that people think you're crazy? Can you see your life so committed to Jesus that all people can do is slander and mock you, yet you rejoice in the midst? Listen, these are things which God has aimed us at and in general, has promised to give to his people. All we need to do is daily pack up our stuff and go. By faith. By faith. The picture he's painted here for us is beyond what our eyes can see. We're oftentimes in the dark, but it's only with eyes of faith that you and I will see it and go. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the gift of the story of Abraham. Father, please refine our faith. For those who have no faith, Father, I pray that you would give that to them now. That you would help them to see and believe that salvation comes only through the righteous life of Christ and his death payment for our sins on the cross. That that is the only ark that we can be in that will save us from your judgment. And Father, for those who trust and know and are seeking to obey your son Jesus, Father, give us an unwavering faith in everything that you have said. And Father, I ask that you would do this for our church, that you would do this in our kids, that you would do this through our lives such that our neighbors would see and believe, that our households would be changed, our cities would be changed, and Father, that we would see your kingdom come. Father, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus, for your glory and for our good. Amen.